Nice to see you this morning. We are going to be continuing and uh, moving on to the final message in the series, having a 2020 vision for 2020, that God has something in store for this church and for this city and for our land in 2020. And even though we've been through a tough time in Australia, we believe that God is a God who can overcome all of the difficulties and bring about something amazing. And so we, uh, this morning we will, we will look at the final aspect of that 2020 vision. We started off a number of weeks ago with looking at God's doors, that God opens doors in the kingdom of God for us. God opens a door of salvation for each and every one of us. That door is open all the time, but God also expects us to open the doors of fellowship to him. From Revelation 3.8, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anybody hears me knocking at the door. You are to open the door to have fellowship with God. God expects us to draw near to him so that he will draw near to us. And then we moved on to God's alignment. And we talked about having our heart aligned with our life. And Jesus emphasized that with the Pharisees when he said, you're like whitewashed tombs on the outside, but on the inside are dead men's bones. Get the two aligned together like the planets are aligned. Let our hearts be aligned with our lives. Let the words that we speak and the way that we live our life be aligned with the things that we believe in our heart. And then last week we looked at God's times. We looked at the chronological time of God, that Greek word chronos, which is minutes and hours and seconds and months and years. But then we looked at the Greek word kairos, which is an appointed time, that in our life there are appointed times in God, seasons in God, like there's spring where we expect to see new growth. And there's autumn when we expect to see the leaves fall. So in our life, there's a time to plant, there's a time to harvest. And we need to plug into those times if we want to reap from the kingdom of God. Well, today we're going to be looking at God's wind and fire. And uh, I found this quite amazing. I started preparing these messages months ago, not knowing that uh, what was happening in Australia, and you only have to listen to the news where they're saying the two key elements are wind and fire together and they cause such a havoc and destruction. And yet this morning we're going to be looking at God's wind and fire, which is not destructive but constructive, that builds things into our lives. It's interesting as you think back over your life, I'm sure like myself you can isolate certain days that were hugely significant for you. Days after which your life is never the same. It could be the day that you got married. <clears throat> And you've never doubted ever since that, fellas, have you, what you're supposed to do? Because we're told what to do. No, that's not true. But our life changes when we get married. When we have children, our life changes. When we lose a loved one, our life changes. And it's never the same, <clears throat> pardon me, as it was before that day. Something significant happens. Well, in the life of God's church... One of the most significant days that we discover throughout history is the day of Pentecost. And that was a day when God's people moved from being under an old covenant to being under a new covenant. Something completely different that God established for his people. And each and every one of us lives under a new covenant, not an old covenant. I want to bring us some readings this morning, one from Jeremiah, then one from Ezekiel, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers 
uh, in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But this is the covenant which I will make, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then from Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. I'll take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And so God's called us to a new covenant. We live in a different way than those who were God's people in the Old Testament where they offered uh, a range of different offerings and sacrifices and they had uh, all sorts of regulations and rituals. We're coming to a new time of freedom in the Holy Spirit of God where we don't live by external laws, but we live by a law written on our heart. And God calls us to live in that law. And I believe that as we go into 2020, we're in 2020 now, that God is calling his people to once again be the people he designed us to be. To not go back under the old covenant where we have regulations and rules and we have all sorts of things that limit the life of people. And it's just like in Japan, one of the traditions that they had years ago, I'm not sure if they still have it today, was to to wrap up the feet of the women so tight that their feet could not grow and they restricted the life of those people. Well, God wants us to come into freedom. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. And so we find that down through church history, sadly enough, as people, we have uh, an inclination to want to set in concrete what God has done. We want to institutionalise the life of God in such a way that it kills that life. And in church history, you find three stages in the development of God's people. Firstly, there's a, a stage called a movement. And I want to use Winston Churchill as a bit of an illustration of this this morning. When God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, and we'll do a reading on that in a moment, there was life that burst forth. The people were filled with new life and a, a desire to serve God and to be free in God. And just like Winston Churchill, that's only a photo of Winston when he was alive, but he was a man filled with, with vision and power and he was the right man in the right spot to help uh, the UK to, to get through that difficult time in World War II. But it's very interesting, as God's people, we have uh, a, an inclination to want to set things in concrete. We want to take that which God gives as life and we want to make it permanent in some way. And so we find a second stage in the decline down through church history is going from a movement to being a monument. And that's a, a statue of Winston that Glynis and I saw when we were over in London a, a while ago. And, and it looks like Winston. It's got all the features of Winston Churchill. He's the right height and all those things. But there's one thing that's missing. Can you guess what it is? Life. Life. It looks like Winston. It has all the appearance of Winston, but it's missing life. And it's there as a monument, as a memorial to something that was alive, but is now dead. And it's very sad that as God's people down through history, we institutionalise the life of God in the people of God, and we set things up like a, an organisation. <clears throat> and 2 Timothy 3, 4 to 5 talks about this. Paul says, There'll be a time when there'll be those who love pleasure rather than love God. 
holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. How dynamic and powerful was the church on that day of Pentecost when the people were there and they burst forth and they they turned the world upside down, but it didn't take long. And they finally reached a point at the time of Constantine where they institutionalized the church and they made it legal and encouraged people to be Christians rather than be a group that was out there being persecuted. And all of a sudden the life went out of the church Things were set in concrete. And then we move to a final stage, and that's, uh, that's Winston's tomb. It's a mausoleum. It's a place where dead things are buried. <clears throat> and it's sad that the church can reach that place where we don't even resemble the church. We don't even have the, the appearance of like the statue. And so we ordain homosexual ministers. We don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We don't accept the word of God as being truth for today. And there are many churches that live in that sort of a culture and environment. And it's time for the people of God to rise up again and to say, we want God's pattern for the church. We want life in the church. We want to see the world turned up the right way again as it was in the early church. And so this morning we want to look at that. What is God's pattern? I want to take us back to that very first day when God poured out his spirit and these group of people from all over the world were gathered together and waited upon God and God poured out his spirit. Suddenly from heaven, God did something miraculous. He created a new people who were not meant to be a people bound by tradition and rituals but free to move in the power of God's spirit to see people saved and the world turned up the right way. And so let's go through uh, to Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like a mighty rushing wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting And there appeared to them tongues of fire being distributed and resting on each of them. This was God's design for his people. He's designed us to be a people of power, a people who move in freedom to minister both outside the walls of this building that's not the church, for you are the church. And one of the sad things about the reformation of God under Martin Luther and and flowing on from that with Wesley is that the theology was right with the priesthood of all believers, but then we, we lifted up the clergy and we pushed down the laity. Lucky I can preach this on the last day. It's pretty safe, isn't it? Not much you can do. But God is calling for all of his people to once again be a priesthood of all of the believers. It's time for a new revolution in the church. As we await the coming of Jesus, that all of God's people would see themselves as ordained into that priesthood of all believers. And these two symbols I want to address just briefly this morning that epitomize what it means to be the people of God, what it means to be in God's design. A rushing mighty wind, which was just not a random 
symbol that was there in the Bible. It's throughout the whole Bible, the wind and the fire of God. And as I've said, we've seen the destructive power in the media when these two ingredients came together. And one of the the guys on the news said, we're not sure what's going to happen. Anything could happen with this fire. It depends on the wind, what the wind will do. And once again, the church, I believe, needs to come back to the the wind and the fire of God if we're going to see the world change for Jesus. Our programs, our institution is not doing the job. And we see a world out there that ignores Jesus Christ because it looks at the church and we're often impotent. We've got nothing to say into the world. And it's time for the church to rise up again and say, yes, we will be the people of wind and fire. And we see that the wind solves two problems for the church. One is immobility. We reach a point where we feel comfortable and we don't want to go on with God anymore. And let everything be just nice and comfortable in the church. Let everything be done decently in order. But whose order? Is it controlled by the pastor? Is it controlled by the people in the church? Or do we allow the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God wants to do? And God is seeking for such a people as this, for a new Pentecost, for a new revolution in the lives of God's people. That when we gather, the early church gathering was not like we gather here today. It says when they came together, one person had a psalm, one had a hymn, one had a prophecy, one had a prayer for healing, one had a tongue and one had an interpretation. That should get me into a bit of trouble. And so God's people once again were flowing and using the gifts of the Spirit and having an impact on their society. And Satan tries to immobilize us. He tries to scare us into not moving ahead into what God has for us. John 3.8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it come from, comes from And where it's going, so it is for everyone born of the Spirit of God. O Spirit of God, blow in our midst this morning. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going to take us. But if we want to go on with God, we've got to be willing to allow the wind of God's Spirit to blow. We can't control the wind. Have you ever tried to control the wind? Very hard. I remember one of the great sporting moments in my life. The first time we won the America's Cup. Who can remember that? Showing how old we are. That's good. And I remember I got up in the morning and I had to go to work, but I couldn't leave the house because it was coming to the final leg of of this race. And, And all of a sudden, the American yacht was ahead and the Australian yacht was behind. And all of a sudden, the Australian yacht went out to the right. And I'm thinking, where are they going? They're going the wrong way. The finish line's up that way. And the the commentator said that the the captain of the Australian yacht was looking for wind. He was trying to find where the wind was going. And he went way out to the right. And all of a sudden, he found the wind. And he came screaming down that second last leg of the, the course. And he came around the American yacht. And then he tacked backwards and forwards, up the, 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 the last leg to take the wind off the American yacht and they won the, uh, the, the, the race. And I, I was jumping up and down. How awesome is it? It was like I was the captain of the yacht and I'd done it. 
And the key was that this, this captain had the courage to go looking for the wind. It's very interesting in the, the recent Sydney to Hobart yacht race. The, the winner, Comanche, I think it is, got into that final part and be, became becalmed. There was no wind, it just stopped there. And I can imagine all the crew just getting behind the sails going, come on, we can get across the line. Without the wind, we will accomplish nothing. But when the wind of God comes, the only thing we can do is to lift our sails and allow God to fill the sails and to take us where he wants us to. Suddenly from heaven, an unexpected bursting forth. But there's a second problem we find. Impotence in the church, a lack of power in the church. And there was a, a Catholic priest at one point in history went to visit the Pope and the Pope at that time in, in their, uh, their halls and their uh, storerooms had all of these vast treasures and paintings and, and the Pope thought he'd impress this, this priest and he brought him in and he said, look at this, we've got all of this gold and he said, no longer do we have to say silver and gold have I none. And then the priest turned to him and said, yeah, and neither can we say in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Take that one, Pope. And so God's calling his people again to be willing to sacrifice what the world values that we might be able to, in the name of Jesus, be saying to those who are in need, rise up and walk. Be blessed of God. Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send out the promise of my Father on you, but wait until you're clothed with power from on high. That God expects his people to be a powerful people. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5, Paul says, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And how God is seeking to empower his church to do the work of God. We cannot do the work of God in our own strength and power and wisdom. We need the power of God to do the work. And then as we move on, we find God's fire, not just God's wind, but God's fire. And these two symbols are, symbols are purposefully in place in the book of Acts because they solve issues in the life of the church. And for the church, one of the great issues is impurity in our lives impurity in our lives and God wants to make us pure he wants to remove those impurities 1 John 1 9 if we say that we have no sin we deceive ourselves if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness what an amazing God we have and if you look in the scriptures especially in the book of Revelation there's one word that keeps coming out holy 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 and we can't be in the presence of God unless God too makes us holy and removes the impurities from our life. And it's only the fire of God that can do that. And God will allow us to be in difficult circumstances. And we were praying last night in the room for the situation in Australia and praying that, that God would take the devastation and all the affliction that people are going through. And yes, we pray that they would have food and water and homes and clothing and jobs and all those things. But more than that, for the sake of their eternal destiny, we pray that God would use that affliction to turn their hearts back to him. What good is it to live this life in abundance, but then he spend eternity away from God? 
And so God calls us at times to go through affliction. We find in Isaiah 48.10, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And you may be going through tough times, and God permits that to bring us to our knees that will turn to God. So I heard a sermon a while ago from a really good preacher who stood up here, my daughter, and she said, she said, will God give you more than you can handle? Yes, he will. So that we need to turn to God because God can handle it even though we can't. And we will go through times of affliction. It's like a fire we go through that God might purify our motives in our life. And Revelation 3.18 God exhorts us, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you might be rich. And so God wants to purify us. And when the fire of God comes on his people, it is to purify us. But then there's a second aspect of the fire and the ministry of the fire. It's to deal with indifference in our life. We can be so lethargic and lacking in zeal and passion for God. And we can be so indifferent to God and and, and God's heart breaks when we're like that. Revelation three fifteen to 16, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot, so because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And God wants his people to be a passionate people. He doesn't want us to be a ho-hum people of indifference, that we can take a bit of God and you know, we can mix it with the things of the world or whatever, but we be passionate for God. That our worship and praise be passionate for God. That when we come together to minister to each other, that we would take upon ourselves the burdens of others as we pray for them, that they can be healed in the name of Jesus, that they can be blessed by the power of God and set free as God wants them to be set free. And God removes the indifference through the fire of his word. Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine, Is not my word like Fire, declares the Lord. Has the Lord ever given you a word that set your heart on fire? And maybe that fire has been a conviction to confess your sin. And maybe that fire has been a truth that burns in your heart that your life needs to be changed. I know God's spoken into my heart at times. A truth that will come in and say, you need to get yourself right. You need to be more passionate for the things of God, for prayer and the study of God's word. God's word is meant to burn in our heart. And think of the two who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And later on they testified. His disciples remembered the... Well, I'll go back one step. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And it's so sad to see the church around the world at times, you know, we've got smoke and mirrors on stage and, and we've got all sorts of performance-oriented services. We're not here to entertain the people to death. We're here to allow God to do his work in our midst and sometimes there are things that God will bless as a supplement but he won't bless as a substitute. And if we think we can substitute anything for the Holy Spirit... We're deceiving ourselves because it's only the Spirit of God who can come and give salvation into hearts. It's only the Spirit of God who can equip and mobilize people to serve God. Did not our hearts burn within us? When was the last time 
our hearts burned within us for the truth of God's word. John 2.17 After Christ had gone, they remembered this prophecy. Passion for God's house will consume me. Jesus was consumed with a zeal and passion for God. Do we have that passion to serve God? There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah 59.17 talks about the armour of God that's emphasised in Ephesians. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And that's one of the pieces of armour we don't see in Ephesians and we often don't mention. You know, it's the only piece of armour that's meant for your back. All the other pieces are meant for your front because you're facing the enemy. If you're turning and running away, the only bit of armour you've got on your back is the cloak of zeal. But if the cloak is behind us, it will push us forward to attack the enemy and to do the work of God. The only piece of armour that God permits to go on our back is zeal that will push us forward. And then we have the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, and the other pieces of armour there as well. I want to call the team up as we close this message, but a prayer that this church, as we continue to move ahead in God, and God wants to, to make our church more and more a church of wind and fire so that we might be able to move out to do God's work in the power of God's Spirit, that we might not be impotent and stand back and when the world says, what have you got to offer? We can stand up in the name of Jesus and speak the word of God and say, we have something to offer. Even on that day of Pentecost when Peter was speaking to the people and they said, what have we got to do to be saved? Repent and believe in Jesus. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to release the gifts that are within you. And when we come together like today, that we come to pray for one another, we come to encourage one another with words of encouragement.